Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. Today's message is Lessons from the Trail, Take the Less Traveled Path. Lessons from the Trail, Take the Less Traveled Path, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. If you head into any of our uh, national parks, uh, you know, you're always going to find a few favorite, well-traveled uh, paths, often paved, often easy to get to, in fact, always easy to get to. And if, for example, if you go to Yosemite on a Saturday, like in this picture that I'm going to show you, uh, it can be very, very crowded, right? It's like, hey, we're out in wilderness, we're out in nature. It's just so calm and still, isn't it lovely, <laughs> right? I like to take out-of-town guests up to Grant Grove in, in uh, Kings Canyon National Park. It's sort of easy, so easy to get to, and you get major, you know, super good reward from, from walking those uh, paths. It's easy. It's paved. You know, usually there's a couple of tourist buses in the parking lot, so there's a, kind of a lot of people. But when I, when I want to experience the best of the park, I take unpaved trails. Redwood Canyon is nice. Uh, Buena Vista is a, is a short but rewarding trail. Uh, Muir Grove, which hardly anybody does, is maybe the best, certainly my favorite grove of, of sequoia trees. The less traveled paths are often full of surprises and rich scenery. It's where you're more likely to see wildlife, a bear or some deer. You almost always see badgers somewhere. Uh, I've got a few pictures. On Friday, Becky and I were able to go to the Buck Rock um, fire lookout up there. The secret to it is it's, it's not as hard to get to as you think. <laughs> really, it's not. But um, you do have to take a few s- stairs on the way up and down. And um, they're fine. They were built in 1942. So they're just fine. There's one more. Um, coming back down. We survived, as you can tell. We're here this morning. But it was just stunning. It was just a beautiful day. But it was just us. There were a couple other people that had just been there that were leaving. And one couple that was coming up as, as we were heading down. And it was, it was beautiful. It was a great moment to connect with God and to just spend time with each other. The less traveled path is highly rewarding. But it takes more effort. It takes something to get there. And the Christian life, as we've been talking about this summer, is a journey, a path, a trail, uh, and metaphorically speaking, of course. And Jesus used that metaphor himself. And he used it as a warning that we have a choice to make. You can take a broad, easy road, or you can take the harder, restricted path. One leads to destruction, the other leads to life. And you're not forced to choose one or the other, but you do have to make a choice of one or the other. But you get to choose. And the good news, of course, is this, that God loves you, that he's made a way for you to be forgiven of your sin, to have a relationship with God by your faith in Jesus Christ, to be granted eternal life in him. God's rich in mercy. He blesses abundantly. 
He provides supremely. He cares completely. And those are all amazing things. And we could go on and on about the benefits of following Jesus Christ. But sometimes we drop the ball. Sometimes we we miss something when we don't tell the whole story. You see, the same Jesus who said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. That same Jesus also said, When you follow me, you can expect hardship. Difficulty, persecution. He made a promise. In this world, you will have trouble. But I've overcome the world. Jesus said, you might even be killed just for associating with me. Just for being known as my follower. It could mean the end of your life. We want to make sure we tell the whole story when we invite someone to follow Jesus. It's not all rose petals and donuts. All right. You have to make a choice. And so let's stand to, to read just two verses from Matthew chapter 7, picking up at verse 13. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. And the New Living Translation actually kind of elaborates it a little bit more even than, than in the original text. But it says this, Matthew seven thirteen. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Or quite literally, it just says, enter through the narrow gate. The highway to hell or the, the the road to destruction is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Let's be seated together. This is one of the hard sayings of Jesus. Only a few will find it. My desire for you is to be counted among the few. Not that I only want there to be a few. I want there to be many, as many as possible, to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. But it's not up to me. It's up to you and it's up to every person you love to make that choice. The gate is narrow and we don't get to widen the gate for anybody else. This teaching of Jesus is set at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Where in the chapters, previous three chapters, chapters five, six, and seven, Jesus has been, been teaching about what it means to be a citizen in his kingdom. That we live, that we think, that we pray, that we give, that we worship, that we, we relate differently than the world around us, than the people around us. We are on a narrow, restricted pathway, the Jesus way. The frustration for you and, and for me is that from where we walk, we can see our friends, our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors. We can see them on that other road. We can see them on that highway to destruction. We see them over there. And we want them on our road. And so the temptation is to, to widen our path or, 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 or cut a shortcut over through the, through the scrub and just come on over here. But we can't force their their choice. And so we, we, we try to widen our own path to, to maybe include them in some way. Sometimes we ignore Bible truth or sometimes we avoid the hard teachings of Jesus because we love our friends and because we want them included and we want them on the journey with us. And we mean well. We really do. It's well-intentioned, but it doesn't work that way. They also have to enter through the narrow gate of repentance and surrender to Jesus. Mind you, there are many exit ramps on the road to destruction. 
You took one somewhere in your life. Maybe you were young. Maybe you were in your 20s or 30s or 50s. But somewhere along the way, you you took that exit path, that exit ramp. But every exit ramp, you know what it does? It leads back to the main gate, the one narrow gate, that gate of faith in Jesus. You can't jump the median. You can't exit, enter from the shoulder. You got to go through the gate. And now at this point, at this point, if you're honest, you're going to feel a little bit of this, or certainly you're going to hear this from others saying, you Christians are so narrow minded. What is the matter with you? You're so narrow-minded. No, we're on a narrow path. The biblical path of obedience to God's Word. And we do it very imperfectly. At least I surely do. So you can accuse God of being narrow if you want, but He is the judge. And guess what? He has your best interest at heart. He actually loves you so much that He's created a healthy, narrow path for you. It's a bit like a meme I saw on my one of my pastor friends' Instagram uh, this week. I don't feel able to read it from there. It's pretty small, but I'll read it for you. It just says, uh, you know, secular society, the culture says, we want to do X. And the church says, you're free to do it. Secular society, but you think X is wrong. And the church says, yes, because you want to control us. No, you're free to do what you want. The culture, but you think X is wrong, church. Yes, but only because we want your ultimate good, which is the definition of love, the culture. But we want to do X, the church. You're free to do it. But we want you to say that X is good. We cannot say that. Why do you hate us? Doesn't it feel like you've had those conversations? For a few minutes, I want to speak to those of us who already claim Jesus as Lord. Jesus invited us to the narrow gate, and we accepted that invitation. We began to walk on the difficult road. And Jesus promised that he would be with us always, even to the end of time. But Jesus with us does not mean Jesus evacuates us from a world that is Largely running down a highway to hell. And the fact that Jesus has us on a mission to call the lost to be found in Christ does not mean we set his word or his truth aside to somehow appeal to more people. To follow Jesus means we leave our flesh behind to follow him. And it is possible It is possible to do that. But I'm telling you, it runs counter to the culture. People just say, well, you can't change. You are who you are, and that's how it's going to be. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul who said, who who made a list that's really offensive to a lot of people. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul said, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or literally the the effeminate is, is how it's literally, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. It just stirs something in you that just doesn't feel very good. And then Paul says this, 
Some of you were once like that. That is what some of you were. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. That is what some of you were. Cleansed. Made holy. Made right by calling on the name of the Lord. Not by, not by effort. Not by trying hard. Not by doing good works. Not by giving money or signing up to serve for the Red Cross or something. By your faith in Jesus. Whatever you're into today, the Lord calls you out of it to trust in Him for a new life. Now, here's the reality. Jesus warned us to expect hardship, including persecution from peers, from friends, from family. Sometimes even from your own church, there's persecution. And all around the world today, Christians suffer for their faith, from being ostracized in their communities, to being beaten, to being killed. They're, they're, they're abducted, they're enslaved, they're made to run from their homes and businesses, their churches are burned to the ground, all because they trust in Jesus Christ. It's not always that severe. Sometimes it's, it's, just, it's just made to be very, very difficult. Sometimes your family will, will cut you off if you make a decision. Particularly those in kind of stronger Islamic states, it's, it's very risky to embrace the gospel. But I want to encourage you with something. Um, Dexter, I'm going to show those baptism photos. I just got a text message this morning. Two years ago, we had a friend visit our church, a pastor uh, from Turkey. Do, you, how, do any of you remember that? And uh, he sent me a, a WhatsApp this morning with 20 photos of baptism. They baptized um, eight people this morning. They're baptizing four more next week. Where's my WhatsApp? Here we go. He says, today, thank God, six people from our church have been baptized and two people from the other church. A total of eight more people. Praise be to God. Let's pray for them. We will baptize four more of our brothers soon. Let's show a couple of those pictures. Here's a picture of them. It's beautiful there, by the way. There at the sea. He's in Istanbul. Let's go to the next picture. I don't know how long they held that guy under, but it... <laughs> It does look like they're waterboarding somebody, doesn't it? And here they are out in the dock. It's significant because it's not Fresno. It's not America. It's a place where they're going to pay a price for that decision. They're going to pay a price for that. And there they are, publicly making a declaration of faith. Over here, you know, we're wondering how to make our live stream more appealing. And they're wondering what's going to happen because they follow Jesus. We have to choose which gate to enter and which path to walk, wide or narrow, easy or difficult. And it is an ongoing daily decision. It's a gate and a road. It's an entry point and the path. It's ongoing. And I've got a, a video here. I think we've got time for this. Dexter, we're going to show that Open Doors video. It's about three minutes long. And it's, it look, it's a little bit more of an infomercial for their ministry, but it, it is a good glimpse into the, the global church. Let's watch this video. Open Doors began in 1955 when Brother Andrew, a newly committed Christian, began smuggling Bibles into Eastern Europe. Brother Andrew believed that everyone should have the freedom to know Jesus, no matter where they lived. 
God spoke to me again through his word. Awake, strengthen what remains, which is at the point of death. Then I understood I have to go to the Christians. I had no idea how to get there. Well, in that one city, okay. But after that, I had no money, no contact, no language. But something was a warning in my heart. And I said, Lord, yes, but how? Since Brother Andrew's first trip behind the Iron Curtain, Open Doors has expanded to work in over 60 countries around the world, providing Bibles, training, prayer, and support for the persecuted church worldwide. Over the years, we have had many milestones, big and small, and all of them have shown God's hand at work. In 1981, we successfully delivered one million Bibles to a secluded harbor in China. In 1989, we sent a million New Testaments into Russia. In more recent years, we've helped thousands of Christians displaced by the conflict in both Syria and Iraq through prayer and advocacy campaigns. And today, as many Christians in this region return to their cities and villages, we are restoring hope by rebuilding homes, churches, and communities. We also work to strengthen believers in northern Nigeria, where the Islamic extremist group Boko Haram has been attacking churches. And in the summer of 2017, we provided 9,000 families with food survival kits during the famine. Our work in these and many other nations continues to this day. There are over 215 million Christians who are persecuted, harassed, and even killed for their faith in Jesus. That's one in 12 Christians. This is a daily reality for our brothers and sisters around the world. Open Doors continues to serve God's persecuted church in the most difficult places on earth. We stand on the front lines for those who suffer for their faith, helping to strengthen the church around the world. Each year, we deliver over two and a half million Bibles and Christian literature, serve over 450,000 Christians in need, train over 870,000 believers, and share the stories of the persecuted church so that the kingdom of God can be furthered in the most difficult and resistant places for the gospel. I think we in the West, this is a personal confession, I think we are cowards. We want a personal prophet come first. And if that is at risk, we don't do anything. We ought to become people of guts and courage and strong convictions and don't count our lives dear unto ourselves if only we can fulfill the high calling of God on our lives. That's what I'm at. That's what I want the young people to do. At Open Doors, we connect you to your persecuted family so you can stand with them as one church. Jesus said you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few find it. So once you find that narrow way, what do you do? How do you walk that path? At school, at home, at work, in your neighborhood. How do you do this for real? Three things. First of all, it takes conviction. It takes conviction. If you're going to keep your faith in a world that's sometimes hostile to the truth, you need conviction. 
A conviction is a fixed and firm belief, one that's not dissuaded. A conviction is not a preference or a personal interpretation. It is roots in the ground. Are you amazed when you drive around and you see in this intense drought that we're in, there are still some trees that are green? They have roots in the ground, deep roots. The conviction says, here I stand for a good reason and I will not be moved. I will not be moved. It doesn't mean I'm never wrong, but when we're in the truth of God's word, we're not dealing with preferences or interpretations. To me, the best image of a conviction is is a dam on a river. It has a job to do. It holds back those millions of gallons of water. It's just standing there and holding it back. It's not there on a whim or casually. It was placed there deliberately and purposely to serve a great purpose. Because of that dam, people benefit from irrigation and hydroelectric power and recreation. Your commitment to trust God's Word is the same. It serves the vital, life-giving purpose of glorifying God by calling others to find new life in Him. That's conviction. And not only do you need conviction, you need courage. To stay on that narrow path requires courage. Conviction is the belief, but courage is the will to stand by it, even when it's painful or costly or unpopular. Courage might seem like a a personality thing, like either you got it or you don't. Some people are just courageous. I guess that's just a courageous person. I, I wish I could be more like him or her. They're really courageous. But I've come to realize courage is a decision. Why else would the Bible command us hundreds of times? Do not fear. Be courageous. We can choose to resist intimidation and manipulation to stay on the narrow road. That applies if you're in the workplace or the classroom, the home, the neighborhood. It takes conviction and courage and it takes compassion. And compassion does go with conviction and it goes with courage because with compassion I won't feel the need to clobber you with my convictions and that's really important. Just because I have a conviction about something doesn't mean to say I beat you up with it but I hold to it with compassion. When I have compassion, I'm going to be understanding of your situation, even of your choices and your decisions, loving you without capitulating my conviction or condoning anyone else's sinful behavior. Compassion is what allows you to love even the person you disagree with or the one who makes your life miserable. Compassion lets you see the heart and the needs of another person past the outside. You see them as Christ Jesus does. To see past what they say or see past what they do or see past who they sleep with because you're going to love them no matter what with Christ's love. Jesus who wants all to be saved and to know the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Conviction and courage and compassion. Do you have what it takes The narrow leaves room for neither accommodation nor compromise. To say yes to Jesus means I'm saying no to a lot of other. When I said yes to my wife Becky 29 years ago and she said yes to me, 
we automatically said no to the other options. Didn't matter if someone else came along who had more money than me, better looking than me. There's lots of those. She said yes to me, which means she said no. And same thing for me. There's none other better looking, I will say that. So So does that make me narrow-minded? Because I say yes only to her. Does that make me a narrow-minded person? Like, come on, Brian, that's pretty narrow. Yes, because I made a commitment. I made a con- I, I committed to a conviction about what's true and what's right. So all the other options are eliminated for me. So it means I choose her in an ongoing way. To say yes to Jesus narrows your options to just Him and just His way. And it's so good. It's so good. And I'll confess, I resonate with what Brother Andrew said in that video. Maybe it didn't hit you, but it hit me. I, I, I've sat across the dinner table with him. He's a friend of my parents. And, you know, he was a young man, loaded up his VW bug with Bibles and went into East Germany. He had no plan, really. He just went in and got to the border and said, Lord, you've, you've made the, the blind eye see. Please make the seeing eyes blind. He drove into East Germany and, the 50s, with a car full of Bibles. He just kept bringing more and more and more. My parents have served with him and been to many other closed nations. And they tell the story over and over again about how God's allowed them to carry Bibles to places they should not have been allowed to carry Bibles into because God honored that faith and that decision. I'm going to want you to, while the worship team comes, I want you to watch this short clip one more time from Brother Andrew. I think we in the West, this is a personal confession. I think we are cowards. We want a personal prophet to come first. And if that is at risk, we don't do anything. We ought to become people of guts and courage and strong convictions. And don't count our lives dear unto ourselves if only we can fulfill the high calling of God on our lives. That's what I'm at. That's what I want the young people to do. Guts, courage, conviction. In these final days of the world, of our history, whether it's days or years or centuries, the world needs to see what a real Christ follower is all about. As culture shakes, even collapses sometimes, as Christians around the world, and I believe in our own nation, come increasingly under fire, you need to know where you are. You need resolve to stay on the narrow path. So first question, have you stepped through the narrow gate? And have you made a commitment to stay on the narrow way? Will you invite others to walk that narrow way with you? Bow together in prayer, Jesus. We love all the good stuff and, and we love all the promises of your presence with us. Jesus, you said you'd never leave us. You'd never forsake us. We love that. We love your promise that you said you're, you're preparing a place for us when we die, that you've prepared a, a, a glorious eternal home for us. We love that. Lord, we prefer to avoid your promises of suffering of 
trial of persecution of hardship. And we live in a nation that has protected us from that for a long, long time. I'm really thankful for that, but it's maybe made us kind of soft. And God, I'm just saying today, I want to follow you wherever you would take us. However narrow that road gets, I thank you, Jesus, there's space for you right beside us. And God, we want to be a people that rises above the status quo that moves beyond the typical to be a people that follows you no matter what. That our faith is in you no matter what. We have convictions that stand. Courage to hold to them. Compassion to love the people around us no matter which path they're on. God, would you do that in our hearts? We love you, Lord. We thank you for your great, great love for us. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.